0: Father in heaven, here we are. We've sung about you as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Oh God, would you give us a more beautiful picture of that today? Would you help us to see the incredible things that you long to do in our lives and in the lives of others through the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you lift Jesus up in our hearts this morning? Lord, We may have a lot of different things on our minds this morning, but we ask that you would silence all the other thoughts and that your word would speak clearly to us this morning in a way that changes us. Lord, we don't just want to walk out of here the same as we walked in and just to go through another week, but Lord, we long to walk more closely with Jesus this week than ever before. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit, we pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. As the couple walked in and sat down, they were excited to hear. They had heard about this speaker. He was well known as one who was eloquent and mighty as he shared from the Bible. And so they couldn't wait until finally they got to that part of the service where he began to share. And as he shared, they were fascinated by the insights that he brought out of Scripture. But as the message came to a close, something began to bother them. They recognized that something was missing. Something was dreadfully wrong. Have you ever sat there before and listened to a sermon and wondered, there's just something missing here? He just totally missed the point today. Well, I pray by God's grace, you won't feel that way by the time you walk out today. I pray that God will have a special message just for you. But this day, they were sitting there and they heard him speak and he was eloquent. He spoke about mighty things from the Bible. And at the end, they thought... There is something missing. We've got to take this brother aside. So the husband and wife, they walked up, and they walked up to Apollos, and they grabbed him, and they said, we need to tell you a thing or two. If you go with me to Acts chapter 18, you find the story of Aquila and Priscilla, who went to a synagogue in the city of Ephesus. And as they were there in the city of Ephesus, they hear this eloquent, mighty speaker by the name of Apollos, who is there preaching And something is missing. In verse 24, it says Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This was a a mighty city, one of the capital, I think it was the capital city of Asia Minor. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. He understood about Jesus. In Acts, Christians were known as the way, those who followed Jesus. He was instructed in the way of the Lord, the Lord being Jesus, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord. He spoke accurately about Jesus. Maybe he opened the Old Testament scriptures. Maybe he looked at Isaiah 53 that we looked at last week, and as he went through this, he Pointed to Jesus as the Messiah. But something was missing, continues, though he knew only the baptism of John. You see, Apollos had possibly been traveling along with many Jews from the Diaspora who would come down to Jerusalem for the Passover and and other of the annual feasts, they would come to Jerusalem and maybe he had come and he'd heard about this preacher at the Jordan River and maybe he'd gone out to the Jordan River to hear John the Baptist as he proclaimed, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent, repent. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Maybe he'd heard some of these things from John, or, or maybe he'd just heard from some of John's disciples about this preacher named John who was preaching that the kingdom of heaven was at hand, that the Messiah was coming, that he was about to set up his kingdom. But something was missing because he'd only heard about John the Baptist's baptism. Verse 26, so he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. He's preaching an amazing sermon. But as Aquila and Priscilla are sitting there, they say, something is missing. We've got to help this guy out. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. How would you handle that? I'm not sure how I would handle that, but I'm apparently Apollos handled it well because verse twenty seven it says, And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote exhorting the disciples to receive him, and when he arrived he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews, publicly showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. This is all that we know about what happened afterwards, and we see some hints of what he did in Corinth and other places in his ministry, but something changed in that Apollos recognized Jesus as the Christ. Something similar happens in the beginning of chapter 19. Follow with me in verse 1, it says, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. So he comes to Ephesus and he does what's natural for Paul. He goes around and he's looking for disciples. You imagine as he's going through Ephesus, he's he's searching for those who know about Jesus. Remember that Apollos has already been there. Apollos has already been preaching the way. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Apparently, there's a little bit missing here in the story, but I think he may have sat down with these disciples. He noticed that there was something missing in their experiences. Just like Aquila and Priscilla had noticed that something was missing in Apollos' experience, Paul sees these disciples and he asks them a question. He says to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Have you asked yourself that question? Did I receive the Holy Spirit when I believed in Jesus? Am I filled with the Holy Spirit? To to Paul, this was just a natural question to ask a disciple of Jesus. This is what it meant to follow Jesus. Have you received the Holy Spirit? They go on to say, so they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. No wonder there was something wrong that Paul saw in the experience of these disciples. They didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. They didn't recognize the powerful gift of gifts that the King of Kings wants to give to us in the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. So as you read this, it says, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit, Paul responds and he said to them, into what then were you baptized? What what are you following? What are you doing? So they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. The kingdom of God isn't just at hand anymore but the kingdom of god has come then verse 5 when they had heard this they were baptized in the name of the lord jesus and when paul had laid hands on them the holy spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied now the men were about 12 in all Something changed in these 12 disciples' experience. They had been following what they knew about Jesus, but everything changed when they learned about the gift of the Holy Spirit. They learned that they weren't just to proclaim from the Old Testament that the kingdom of heaven was at hand, but that they were to be receiving the kingdom In their heart through the power of the Holy Spirit, that the kingdom of heaven had come, that Pentecost had taken place, that the king of kings was on his throne now, and all power was given to him in heaven and on earth, giving them authority to take the gospel to the world. This was what they were missing. They were lacking this understanding of the Holy Spirit. And I wonder in my experience, I wonder in our experience, if we feel that we understand the Holy Spirit, but do we really know what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Do we recognize His gifts in our lives? Do we understand that the Holy Spirit is the gift of gifts that God is longing to give us? This is what Paul tried to explain to these disciples. And I wish that I had more details about what exactly he said. But I think there's a hint when you see what he writes back to the Ephesians. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Paul is writing to Ephesus. He's writing to these Christians in Ephesus. And I believe as he goes into this that he's trying to remind them of the things that he taught them when he first came there. And in Ephesians chapter 1, we get this beautiful picture of what God longs to do not just in the lives of the Ephesians but in your life in my life starting in verse 3 "the blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in christ" who's paul talking about here in this first verse He's talking about God the Father. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what does he say that the Father has done for us? He's blessed us with how many spiritual blessings? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. How? In Christ Jesus. I love how it describes what the cross revealed about the Father's heart in the book Christ object lessons, I believe it is. It talks, Desire of Ages, sorry, page 57. It says, Satan has represented God as selfish and oppressive, as claiming all and giving nothing, as requiring the service of his creatures for his own glory and making no sacrifice for their good. But the gift of Christ reveals the Father's heart. It testifies that the thoughts of God toward us are thoughts of peace and not of evil, Jeremiah 29.11. It declares that while God's hatred of sin is as strong as death, His love for the sinner is stronger than death. You remember the past couple of weeks how we focused on the cross and we've seen the love of God revealed on the cross that Jesus went to the cross fully expecting and not being able to see through the portals of the tomb he laid down his life for you. Because he would rather that you experience eternal happiness and bliss, that he would rather that you exist than that he exist. That was the heart of God that was revealed on the cross. It revealed that God is unselfish, this thing that was denied by Lucifer. Lucifer said that the only way is the way of selfishness. We should try to ascend. We should try to make ourselves better. And God said, no, the only way His unselfish love for others. Satan said, no, you're not that way. You don't love. You command us to follow you. You command us to give you glory. You give us all of these laws that we have to follow. You don't really love us unselfishly. You are a selfish being. That was what was the insinuation against God when you look at what Lucifer was trying to do in ascending to the the Holy and to the the most holy place, when he was trying to take the throne for himself. But on the cross, the Father revealed that his heart is a heart that would rather you exist than that he exists. That the ultimate form of unselfishness, that he would give you absolutely anything, that he loves you more than he loves his own life. And Jesus says, no greater love has any man than this, that he would lay down his life for a friend. Well, it almost seems like there is a greater love because Jesus laid down his life for his enemies. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul is pointing to this in Ephesians chapter 1. He's saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Verse 4: Just as he chose us in him. Who's doing the choosing here? Who is the key he here? It's the Father. God the Father has chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Let this sink in. God has chosen you. Before there was a creation, before there was planet earth, before any of this took place, before all of this mess of sin that we see here on this planet, God looked down through the time, through eternity, and he saw you. And he said, I want to give them a chance. I want to offer them the opportunity of life. Why would God go through with creating a planet that He knew would rebel against Him? Because He wanted to give you the opportunity to choose life. He chose you before the foundation of the world. From the very beginning, God had a plan of how He would bring redemption as an option for you. That you could choose life, that you wouldn't be forever held captive in sin. Verse 5 continues, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. He delighted in this plan that he was going to adopt you as his son and his daughter. And in doing that, he wanted to give you every good gift possible. Romans encapsulates this in chapter 8 and verse 32. It says, He who did not withhold his own son, how would he not with him freely give us all things? You know what this is like if you're a parent. You know what it's like to want to give good gifts to your children, I imagine. I know this from my own personal experience because I have parents who are very giving to me. I can't stop them from giving to me. My my dad will tell me, don't steal my joy in giving when he wants to pay for a meal, when he wants to buy us groceries, when he wants to buy me clothes, when he wants to give everything possible. Even though I know they're not extremely wealthy, that they live on a ministry salary as well, they just keep on wanting to give and I can't stop them. That's the way your Father in heaven is. He can't stop giving to you. He adores you and he wants to give every good gift possible to you. This is what Paul, as he's talking to the Ephesians, he says, these are the things. Remember the things that I taught you. That God isn't just interested in the Jerusalem and taking over and, and setting up a Messiah there. That, that You needed to understand the gospel more fully. That the God of the universe, the King, the Creator of all things was so unselfish that He was going to come and He was going to lay down His life so that you could have the option of life. To the praise of the glory of His grace, He continues in verse 6, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. Don't miss those words. You are accepted in in the beloved Son of God. In Jesus, in what He has done on the cross, you have acceptance. He is your surety. He is your title. He is everything that can get you to heaven. Apart from Christ, there is no hope of salvation. You are accepted in the beloved. And here's the thing that that we tend to miss as we understand and we look at the beautiful gift of salvation that's offered to us in Jesus, but that this comes with a special gift. Notice the things that he's brought out here. He said that you are adopted as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. Verse 5 said, We receive this adoption, and we'll go back to Romans 8 in a minute, and we'll see how this adoption is proven in our lives. But he goes on to say this in verse 9, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Jesus said it like this, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He wants to give you salvation. He wants to give you everlasting life and everything that comes with it. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, to the praise of His glory. Paul's talking to those Ephesians, the ones that maybe he had taken aside and he'd ask them, did you hear about the Holy Spirit? Did you you receive the Holy Spirit? And he's reminding them that this gift was given to them because of the magnificent gift that was already given to us in becoming sons and daughters of God. You have received the Holy Spirit as a seal, a guarantee of what I am doing in your life, of the salvation that I have offered to you and of what I long to do through you. This reveals the heart of God. Desire of Ages continues to say, Having undertaken our redemption, He will spare nothing, however dear, which is necessary to the completion of His work. No truth essential to our salvation is withheld. No miracle of mercy is neglected. No divine agency is left unemployed. Favor is heaped upon favor, gift upon gift. The whole treasury of heaven is open to those he seeks to save. All of heaven is open to you and I. But are we acting like the disciples of Ephesus? We are going about as if we were paupers when we have the king of kings seated on the throne, who's given his life for us, who's longing to pour out these gifts on us, and we are just going along as if we didn't have the king on the throne? Am I really receiving the gift of the Spirit like he's promised to me? I long to experience this more fully and more deeply. Continues, having collected the riches of the universe, laid open the resources of infinite power, like there aren't words enough to describe all that God is trying to do for you because you are that precious in His sight because He loves you that much. He gives them all into the hands of Christ and says, all these are for man. Use these gifts to convince Him that there is no greater love than mine in earth or heaven. His greatest happiness will be found in loving me. Use all of these gifts The greatest gifts of the universe use all the power, all of the knowledge, everything possible, pour it out on the church so that they can reveal the love of God in a way that people will recognize. This is what Paul is trying to communicate to the Ephesians. He says, you were sealed by the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then it goes on to say, he begins to say, I wish that the eyes of your understanding could be enlightened. In the next part of the chapter, verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of His calling. What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His mighty power? Do we really grasp this? Do we really believe that He has all authority in heaven and on earth and that He's longing to bless us with every good gift in our life and in our ministry? And what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. You notice here what the focus is. He's starting from before time began. God purposed to save you. And then He provided this plan. He sent His only beloved Son so that you could be redeemed through the blood. But not only that, He goes on to say, in verse, We just read in verse 21 that He seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places. He seated Him on the throne of the universe. There is a human being, fully human and fully God, seated on the throne of all the power of the universe. And He's crazy about you. And He wants to bless your life. He wants to guide your life. He wants to walk closely with you. He wants to hear you talking to Him every day. He wants for you to recognize that sin is hurts you he wants to recognize what we talked about last week that it was by our sins that he was pierced it was for our transgressions that he was pierced he was wounded for our transgressions those were the things that crushed him and he wants us to to mourn those things and to have a hatred for the sin in our lives as we look to the cross it compels us by a love that is immeasurable Verse 21, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in that which is to come. Paul can't grasp. He can't use big enough language to describe who Jesus is. He's trying to get the Ephesians to recognize Jesus is King of Kings. He's God on the throne and He has all the power that you need. Verse 22, and He put all things under His feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Jesus is set as head of the church. And he begins to expand this in the, gift, in the book of Ephesians. He begins to describe how this works. And he begins by looking at his own experience. If you go down to chapter 3 and verse 8, it says, "...to me who am less than the least of all the saints..." Why would Paul call himself less than the least of all the saints? Because he was the one who was on his way to Damascus to put Christians to death. He said, You believe in Jesus? And he'd go door to door, house to house, dragging Christians and putting them in prison and killing them. He said, To me, who am less than the least of the saints, I have done the most heinous things against Jesus imaginable. But what happened on that road to Damascus? As he was headed there to do that, Jesus shows up and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he got this picture of a glorified Christ who he recognized that he was persecuting him in the person of his followers. And yet, he experienced forgiveness. Acts 9 goes on to say that Ananias is told to go and to pray for Saul, so that his sins could be forgiven and that he could receive the Holy Spirit. You find that this is the repetition of what takes place in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit's been poured out. And I encourage you, we really want to dive into Acts chapter 2 with our study guides. I encourage you to join a life group this week. It's going to dive into Acts chapter 2. And I believe that you're going to be blessed by the insights that you discover and that your leaders bring out as you dive into Acts chapter 2. But in Acts chapter 2, you find that, that the Holy Spirit is poured out. They begin to speak 19 different languages. How many of you have ever tried to learn a new language before? I have tried to learn. I started off when I went with my parents, I think it was to Canada, and they, they were speaking French. And I started, I got this computer program. I started to learn French. I was doing my best to learn French. And... I got a little book that gave me basic phrases in French, and I can't even say one sentence in French to you today. But then, eventually, I moved to California, and I went on a mission trip to uh, Bolivia, and I began to say, man, I really need to know Spanish. And so, I began to study Spanish. I took the Spanish 1 and 2 in high school, and I took a whole year of Spanish in college, And our Hispanic group will tell you that I'm translated two times each month because I don't know how to preach in Spanish. I can barely ask you how you're doing in Spanish. I went to college and I learned Greek for a while. And I can't pick up a Greek Bible and read to you verbatim from it. I do know quite a bit of vocabulary from Greek, but some of it's faded. Sometimes Lee and I will quiz each other just for fun. It's hard to learn a language. I went to the seminary and I took advanced Hebrew. I said, finally, I want to pick up one language that I could just be fluent in. Well, I definitely can't speak Hebrew, so that's one strike against me being fluent. But also, if I pick up a Hebrew Bible, I like to have my phone nearby, which can quickly give me definitions and translations to help me make sure that I'm reading it properly. It's tough to learn a language, but you find that the Holy Spirit is poured out in Acts chapter 2 in 19 different languages on the spot. They're speaking them fluently, and people are learning about Jesus. And as they come, and they're excited to hear this, and they're hearing about the wonderful works of God, Peter begins to stand up and begins to proclaim to them about this Jesus. And as you read in Acts chapter 2, the things he's pointing to is that Jesus died for your sins. That he was the one that you put to death. And he's the one that has been glorified. And then he begins to point to Jesus is on the throne. And that's why you see all of this taking place. Because he has poured out this blessing of himself through the Holy Spirit on us. And that's repeated time and again in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 5 John and, and Peter are appearing before uh, the Sanhedrin, and they're saying to them, look, we have to obey God. Don't you realize that you have murdered Jesus? But Acts 5.31 says that he has appeared to give repentance and forgiveness of sin. Every time people are confronted with the fact that their sins have led to the death of the Savior, the Messiah, but every time they're immediately offered This gift of repentance and forgiveness and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit because that same Jesus is now seated on the throne. And Paul experienced what this does as he goes on to describe to the Ephesians in chapter 3 and verse 8, he says, To me who am less than the least of all these saints, I was arrested on the road, ready to murder Christians. This grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. I am making known to you that there is fellowship, that there is communion with God, that you have been reconciled through the cross. Just repent. Turn from your sins. Turn to Jesus today. Receive the Holy Spirit and know what true communion with God is like to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Friends, the church has a much bigger mission than simply sharing even with our neighbors. The entire universe is watching what's happening here on planet Earth. It says that principalities and powers in the heavenly places, that God is being glorified by what He's doing, by His wisdom, and what He's doing in your life, in filling you with the Holy Spirit, in transforming your life, in giving you the gifts of the Spirit, in saving you. The entire universe is glorifying God because of that. Love that verse. Verse 11, according to the eternal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. But then he goes on to describe what this looks like in the church. In verse 7, he gets to this place where he describes why all this can take place. In verse 7, it says, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift according to the infinite gift of Jesus, in coming in the incarnation and becoming fully human, in going to the point of the cross and taking all of our sins with a love that is stronger than death, a love that took all of our sins into Himself, died for those and rose again and is exalted to the throne in heaven. According to that matchless gift, it says this, therefore, He says, when He ascended on high... He led captivity captive. Friends, some of us are living as if the devil still had control in our lives, as if the devil was still master of this planet. But Jesus has led captivity captive. You no longer need to serve the devil anymore because Jesus is on the throne. He's promised you the Holy Spirit. He has justified you by faith, and you can live with him day by day. You can be sealed with the Holy Spirit. When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. When Jesus ascended into heaven and he stood before the throne there on that day, you imagine what it was like as he told in John 20 verse 17, he told the disciples, I'm ascending to my God and your God, to my father and your father. The disciples watched as he was taken up into heaven, and they knew that he was going to heaven. And heaven no longer seemed like this place that they couldn't understand. But now they understood that there was a human being, their best friend, there in heaven, who was being enthroned as king of kings, who was not just their savior, but who's also their god and their king. And as they Realized that they humbled their hearts and began to pray like they've never prayed before. Acts, uh, Ephesians chapter 4 goes on to describe how when he ascended, verse 9, now this he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all things that he might fill all things. He descended to the place of taking our eternal torment. He died the second death for you and I so that we don't have to experience that. He is the same one who has ascended into heaven and you and I are accepted in the beloved. When Jesus was baptized, God looked down and he said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased and immediately the Holy Spirit was poured out. In Romans chapter 8, it says that those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. When you are adopted into the family, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the seal, the guarantee of your eternal reward in Christ. It goes on to say, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Do you see what the goal is here? The goal is that the whole church under the headship of Christ would be empowered by the Holy Spirit for the work to be finished. But here's the thing. Sometimes we're looking to the evangelist to come and to finish the work. Sometimes we're looking to The great evangelists like Mark Finley. Well, maybe if he preaches enough big campaigns, then the work will be finished. But what does it say here? He gave some to be prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Friends, God's goal is for you. For you to shine brightly. For you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. For Jesus to come and live in you and through that, that Jesus would be glorified. Christ Object Lessons, page three twenty six. It says this: Not more surely is the place prepared for us in the heavenly mansions than is the special place designated on earth where we are to work for God. We don't know what that might look like. It may be different for individuals. It, I'm so excited to go on this journey where we can explore what that might look like in our lives. It might look like enhancing church grounds in a way that our neighbors begin to want to come to church. It might look like going out and feeding the hungry. It might look like just being a part of church organization. I don't know what it looks like in your life, but I guarantee this, that as much as there is a place for you in heaven, God has planned for you to be a part of His work, here on earth. He has a special calling for you, a calling that will fulfill you, that will give you joy, that will give you purpose in your life, that will be the greatest thing in your life possible goes on to describe in Christ's object lessons that this gift of the Spirit wasn't able to be given until Christ had ascended. Page 327, "...but not until after the ascension was the gift received in its fullness. Not until through faith and prayer the disciples had surrendered themselves fully for His working was the outpouring of the Spirit received. Then, in, special, in a special sense, the goods of heaven were committed to the followers of Christ." The gifts are already ours in Christ but their actual possession depends upon our reception of the Spirit of God. Paul recognized this when he was on his way to Damascus, that he needed an entirely new revelation of Jesus and that he needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And God led him to be compelled by the cross, to be compelled by his love, to travel 10,000 miles, to experience scourgings and mockings and, and being stoned and being shipwrecked, all those things that we talked about two weeks ago all compelled by the love of Christ. And he wants to do the same in your life. He did it for the Ephesians. He poured out his Holy Spirit and they immediately began to speak other languages. They immediately began to share it with a prophetic gift. What does God want to do in your life, in my life? You know, growing up, my mom loved to give me good gifts, but she was, had a way of going about it that she really wanted me to learn how to save my money. She would give, you know, gifts at Christmas. In fact, she began to tell me, you know what you should do? Rather than have people give you toys that are kind of cheap toys for your birthday and for Christmas, what you should do is you should ask them to write you a check, and then you put that in your savings account, and then you'll save up. And she began to give me an idea of, just think about what you could save up for. You could get one of those gas-powered RC cars. So I remember saving up my money, and I finally had that $200 for that gas-powered RC car. And she said, you know, you've been riding this bike for a long time, this little bike. I think you should keep saving for a bigger bike. So I continued to save until I had enough money saved up for a nice mountain bike. And I remember that day as she said, okay, finally you have enough money saved. Well, let's go. And we began to look, and we began to go, and we went, and we purchased a bike. And then it was later on it was skis so that I could go skiing or different things like that. And I I kept saving and, and I kept buying these things. Or so I thought. I didn't realize actually until just a few years ago that my mom would encourage me to save and that she would push me to save so that I could get these things. And then when we go to the bike store, she'd pull out her credit card and she'd tell me that she's, or I would assume she was taking the money from my savings account, but no, she was giving me that bike, she was giving me those skis, she was giving me that backpack, whatever it was, and my savings kept building up and I felt pretty proud of myself. Look at all that I'm doing, look at all that I'm, I'm able to get, and I still have this money saved up in my savings account. She was giving these gifts to me, unbeknownst to me. I believe that we have been filled with the Holy Spirit. He has wanted to gift all of us in miraculous and powerful ways. But sometimes we don't even recognize the gifts that He's wanting to give. And other times we take credit for the gifts that He has given us, for the talents that we're using, for the things that we're doing in His cause. And we feel like it's something that we've done when He created us and He gifted us through the power of His Holy Spirit. And He's longing to do so much more. He has all resources in heaven and on earth. All authority in heaven and on earth are His, and He's longing to give them to you. goes on to say, in Signs of the Times, October 11, 1899, we need to pray as we have never prayed before for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. For if ever there was a time when we needed the baptism, it is now. There is nothing the Lord has more frequently told us He would bestow upon us, and nothing He would be more glorified in bestowing than the Holy Spirit. Just read John chapter 14 to 17 and look at how many times Jesus promises, I'm going to send you the comforter. I'm going away, but it's to your advantage, John 16, 7, that I go away. Because if I don't go away, then I wouldn't send the helper. He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do, and greater works than these. Because I'm going to the Father. And when I go to the Father, John 14 tells us that he says, I am going to ask the Father that he would send the Spirit upon you. John 16 goes on to say that Jesus will give the comforter as a teacher who will teach us all things. And then in verse uh, 16, verse 15, it says, And he will glorify me. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Go back to verse 14 for me, actually. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. You find it throughout the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit comes so that people can magnify who Jesus is as the Savior, as the King, as the Redeemer, as the unselfish, loving God of the universe who's crazy about you. He will glorify me, for He will take of what is mine and declare it to you. And verse 15 continues, all things that the Father has given has, or mine, therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Signs of the Times continues, when we partake of the Spirit, we will be born again. A firm, unwavering faith in God will be manifested. The Son of Righteousness will be in our midst. With healing in his wings, souls once lost will be found, brought back, and kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Friends, I'm excited to go on this journey of looking at what Jesus wants to do in gifting us with His Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't just about what we accomplish, but it's all about lifting up and glorifying Jesus. Recognizing who Jesus is as King of Kings, as Savior, as our unselfish, loving God. And I want to invite you to join with us in the coming seven weeks in focusing on being filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can recognize who Jesus is in our lives. I don't want to go on like the Ephesian disciples, totally missing the point. I don't want to go on like Apollos and maybe speak eloquently sometimes, but miss the point. Not having the Holy Spirit, not being truly gifted with a power that will fill this earth with the glory of God's character. So I want to invite you as you go out today to sign up for one of the life groups. It's going to be an awesome opportunity where just a small group of you can get together and you can prayerfully dig into the Bible and you can look at specific ways that God wants to gift you and you can look at this promised gift of the Holy Spirit that is so crucial to our lives. In the gift of the Holy Spirit, God gives us everything that we could ask for. Every other gift comes with this. And yet so often we're, our focus, my focus, is on so many other things. But I long to simply humble myself, to pray, and to seek the outpouring of His Spirit like never before. If that's your desire, to seek that, I want to invite you to daily be praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you want to daily be praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, asking that He would fill you, that He would give you a glorified picture of who Jesus is, I just want to invite you to stand with me just standing and saying, Jesus, we're standing and just asking that you would fill us. Maybe you've already filled us some, but we want the fullness. We want to recognize more fully who Jesus is. And today, I want to challenge you to join one of the life groups. I'm going to ask if you have already joined a life group or if you haven't yet, and you really want to be a part of this seven-week journey where we're going to be going through and we're going to be exploring these possibilities that you would consider that. Um, There's a bunch of different opportunities of times. I'll specifically list them for you. Immediately after potluck, or during potluck today, Beverly is going to be leading one. And that'll be meeting, I guess, in the primary Sabbath school classroom. There will be one at 6 p.m. tonight at the Heise's home. There'll be one at 6.30 tonight at the Kirk's home, Lauren and Carrie. There'll be one on... uh, Mondays at the Molders, Mark and Linda Mulder, and there'll be one on Thursdays at 6.30 at the Molders, Stan and Joy Mulder, and there'll be one on Fridays at Leah and my house, and there'll be one on Fridays at the Dorn's house. So there's lots of different times, lots of opportunities, but if one of those doesn't work for you, then talk to Leah or talk to myself and say, hey, could we get another group together at this time and this place, and we'll work it out so that you can experience this too. Friends, there's nothing more important We don't want to miss this. We don't want to miss this all-encompassing, all-powerful gift of the Spirit. Because if we miss this, we miss the guarantee, the seal of our redemption. He designs it to be for all of you. He's already chosen you from eternity past that you could experience this gift. So don't miss it. Join a group. Experience it. Pray for it every day. Pray that God would fill us with His Holy Spirit like He's never done before. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, as we pray, we just want to pray the prayer that Paul prayed, praying for the Ephesians, when he said, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with the might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.